0: So let's do this. Let's turn to Acts 13. It's been a couple of weeks since we've met. Um, but Acts 13 is where we're going to be. Okay, so disclaimer right off the bat on this one. This is a large chunk of, of verses to look at. But it's on purpose that we need to look at all of them at the same time. So don't don't lose heart uh, at the, the 50 verses that we're going to kind of look through. Okay? And then also, I wanted to... You're so pensive. Also, uh, what we need to do is we need to do this. I want us to um, think about, uh, we're about to get into a section of Scripture where every once in a while, Paul or another kind of teacher is going to be at a synagogue. And they're going to teach, and it's going to, be, it's going to feel long. They're going to go through like, Jewish history a little bit. They're going to go through either Moses or Abraham or David or two out of three. You have to hit one of those. As they, as they start teaching this, this path to Jesus. Now, we have probably heard this, okay? Fair enough. We have probably heard them teach it. If you've been here for the last months, we've gone through it multiple times in Acts, right? They, they teach um, this new people. They explain to them through scriptures why Jesus is who he said he was. And it, it can seem like we're hearing it again and again and again. But we have to remember, they are piecing together the story and the puzzle here, okay? They're connecting dots, a lot of these people, for the first time. And so what I want us to do is try to, before we even start, try to see this with fresh eyes, okay? Try to see it as if we are also hearing something like this for the first time. Because it can be easy for us to let familiarity breed contempt or apathy, and we can not care as much because we've heard it before, but I, I I bet in our hearing it, we we didn't even attempt to put the dots together like they're trying to do here. Okay, so that's the disclaimer. We're okay to <laughs> we're okay to move forward now. Okay, so let's get into Acts thirteen, and we'll go from there. Does anyone remember what happens at the beginning of the chapter that we talked about two weeks ago, or do I need to recap it for us? I don't mind. Okay, I got us. So what happens is, and Paul and Barnabas are sent off from where? Do we know where? The church at? We know this. Antioch. Antioch. Thank you. So the church at Antioch, which is a very diverse culture, okay? It's Hellenists are there, so Greek thinkers, writers, some wealthy folks, some very poor folks, some Jewish people, some foreigners, people from Africa people from Europe, what is now Europe, people from the Middle East. So this is, this is a very diverse culture, and it's, for all we know, is one of the only churches like it in the world at this point, okay? So it's it's this beautiful kind of display of what um, the message looks like when it's shared by a bunch of people. So they send Paul and Barnabas off. They say, you know what? The Holy Spirit, they're, they're praying in this place, and the Holy Spirit sets them aside, and they say, well, then you must go. So they send them off, right? They go, and they... they um, they meet this guy who claims to be a sorcerer. Do we remember his name at all? Elias. What is it? Elias. Yes, it is. So, which means what? Sorcerer. Right, yeah. <laughs> sort of, right? <laughs> He's like, Sor- Sorcerer? I'm Ron Burgundy? Right? There we go. No, that's good. So, <laughs> basically what happens, they meet him. Um, his name is Bar-Jesus, which, again, the writer doesn't even want to say. Uh... You don't even want to say the name Bar-Jesus because it means like son of Jesus and it makes him angry even to write that down for the sorcerer, right? So the sorcerer is trying to keep this politician, this high-ranking politician from hearing the message of Jesus, right? And so what happens to him? Saul is there, Paul is there, and he says, you know what? Why are you trying to make crooked the straight path of the Lord, right? He kind of gives this statement, and then what happens to him? He blinds him. Why is that unique for him to be blinded again? Do what you say? No, again, why is it unique? Sorry, we talked about why it was unique last time. Saul so. was Yes, Saul was blind, right? So it's a similar story. Saul is now proclaiming his story with someone else. This is, why are you making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Which he had heard very similar Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me from Jesus, right? On the road to Damascus. Right? We remember this? And so then we have the same story happening here. And I want us to note something else we didn't talk about the other day. And Karen and I talked about this later. I thought it was brilliant. I've heard it bring up. It's it's almost if in these last few stories, remember Caesar also has worms, right? Falls over, has worms, and then dies. This idea? It's this it's this interesting thing that, that Luke seems to be showing us is that it's almost as if the spiritual and the physical of these people are showing themselves, right? This, this guy who thinks he is all-seeing, he's the sorcerer who thinks he's wise and thinks he can see, is really blind to the truth. And so really his, his physical is just kind of showing what the truth is. So even if, even if we say God strikes him right then, it's, it's like he's being struck with an ailment of his spirit, right? Same with, same with Saul when he's on the road. He is trying to do the Lord's work in his head, but he is blind to what's actually happening. Same with Caesar. Caesar wants to be this king. He wants to mistreat some and be benevolent sometimes and have all these things. And so his insides are just wicked. They're rotten. It's, it's like he, to the core, is rotten deep down. And so this worms idea that he has, and he probably really does have them. They probably found it. Luke is a medical professional at the time and would have written something like that. But it's almost as if this physical... Manifestation of their spiritual side, which I think is unique and, and interesting for her to bring up and I thought it was great. So anyway, that happens. Um, this this leader accepts this, this gospel and then we have them moving on in verse 13. So here's what it says. Now Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to Pergola. Sorry, it's not Pergola. They came to Perga. They might have been in a Pergola. We don't know. Could have been. It was greek so there probably was a Pergola. Caitlin. So, <laughs> John leaves them, but they go on from Perga. They came to Antioch, the Pisidia, and they sit on the Sabbath, and they went to the synagogue to sit there. And after reading from the Law and the Prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, please say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said this, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out. And for about 40 years, he put up with them. I love how he says that's pretty true. For 40 years, he put up with their nonsense in the wilderness, right? And after destroying seven nations of the land of Canaan... He gave them their land as an inheritance. Now all this took about 450 years. And after he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be the king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all of my will." Of this man's offspring, God brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, I love that. That word is, is almost like a, a race. So it's, it's almost like the, this marathon he's in, the very last bit of it. He's saying, as John was finishing his race, as John finished the, the task, his marathon, as he finished his course, and I'm lost after saying that, He said, who do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize or understand the utterance of the prophecies which are read every Sabbath, Fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to all people. And we bring with you good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it was written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, and corruption means uh, like decay, corruption of body, like of uh, your physical self, so you bury someone, they corrupt, right, they decompose, they erode, there is something happens to the physical, right, so that's this corruption, it doesn't mean sinless in this passage, okay, just with a heads up, Um. Sorry, I saw corruption. But that God raised him up not to see this corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that though this man, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said about the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you about it. Okay, so let's go. That's, that's like 30 verses to read fairly quickly. But let's let's discuss a little bit, okay? First of all, why would it be important for Paul to explain it this way? Why would he go through Jewish history at this time? What are some thoughts? You're probably not wrong, or I'll help you not sound wrong if you
1: why would why would they do that?
0: I mean, the history is important, and that's a big part. I mean, with Jesus' life, we I mean, like, may have ignored or gotten the history wrong, so this is kind of, you know, showing history in a correct way. Right. So it's, it's the same words they would have read, right? They know these. He's using scripture that they're super familiar with, right? So someone would come. So here's how a, a synagogue service might go, right? They would sing or do prayers and do, do what would kind of to us be like chants, which would be some of the psalms. So they would sing them. They wouldn't read most of the psalms. Some they would. But usually the psalm is actual a singing or poetry. So they would, they would perform it almost. And then they would read from the Torah. So they would read from the Pentateuch, the Torah, whatever. Then they would read from um, a book, a prophecy and then they would read uh, a narrative or a chronicle, right? So they would read these different scrolls every, every week. It would be common, okay? So people have heard this most of their lives. And as kids, they would go to a school and memorize as much of it as humanly possible. They would memorize as much as they could. So these verses are familiar to them. But now he's like reinterpreting what they already know to them to be basic, normative, what their family has always taught them history, right? They know how long that the uh, Israelites struggled in the desert before they found Canaan, right? They know this. Paul almost says it in passing. He put up with them for 40 years, right? He's not teaching them anything with that. They know this. They're fully aware. Then he goes through and he says, you know, then they conquered in Canaan and they had lives there and it took them a while for the seven nations to be removed and all these things. And he says, you know, all that took 450 years, Which, again, they know. They understand. It was a long time. What else? Why else would he be? So reinterpreting, I think, is important. What else? He's connecting with us. Yes. building a platform. Yes. Building a platform from which to give his truth to, right? And, And what is important about that platform? What's one of the important pieces of that platform? Well, it's showing that Christ was fulfilling the law. Yes. Not opposed to the law. Exactly. It's it. So it's, it's, he's trying to again show, and that's why he brings in the psalms and the prophecies through these songs that they would have sang every day. Maybe not every day. Sorry, there's 149 of them or something. So they may not have sang them every day, but they sing them all the time. So now again, he's reinterpreting saying, look, this Jesus wasn't against Moses like everyone claimed he was. In fact, it's the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of what was promised. He even brings up this passage, this Psalm. I think it's like one thirty-three um, of David. And in this song, in this song that's saying after David passes, they say, "And through David's lineage, through his body, we will have a king stay upon the throne." And then it says the verse after, which is important, says, "And for all of his other descendants, they may rule if they are righteous." So it's it's like this pointing to someone not just ruling the kingdom. They mention those after they talk about the one from his body, the one from his seed, will now be this new ruler. So he alludes to this. He alludes to these things to build the platform of Jesus being the one that the Bible is talking about. What else? I say Bible. It wasn't the Bible then, but you know what I mean. Scripture. Their, their knowledge. What else would it be? Why else would it be important for him to share that? Think... Um, his location. Yeah, go ahead. Isn't it a way of saying, hey, I'm one of you? Yes, that's exactly it. He's coming from a church in Antioch, and they would have known him. And again, what was specific about Antioch? What was beautiful about it? There are Hellenists there, the are Greeks there. Diversity. Yeah, the diversity. Did, did the Jewish people at the time love diversity? Was that their move? No, their move was isolationism, right? Their move was to isolate. And not be tainted by the diversity of the world. And that's, that's the way that it, it had been since Moses, right? This idea of keeping yourself pure, keeping yourself clean. So Paul is one from a place that's very seems against that. Seems pro-diversity. Seems pro-taint yourself by the world, right? This, this idea of, yes, let's mix and give the gospel to all people. So t- to them... He might have been a very risky teacher that day. They say, hey, why don't you get up and teach for us? And then when Paul gets up, I wonder if the leaders are like, I uh, hope he doesn't say what I think he's going to say, right? Who knows? Who knows what's about to come out of this guy's mouth who always mingles with the Hellenists. So if he goes through this Jewish history, he gets it correct, which he could, because he was so educated and was studying under like, the Pharisee of the day. He's very educated. He was showing, no, don't be afraid. I am one of you. I know this better than you. I've read this many, many, many more times. I've studied so long, I have to have all of this memorized if I'm going to get to study under Gamaliel. I think it's who he studied under right at the time. So it's, it's this idea of, look, I'm one of you. I have the same knowledge as you. I'm not ruining it. I'm not trying to totally discredit your history. I'm not discrediting your culture. I'm not, saying you're not, I'm not saying you're wrong for your history and your culture and your identifying factors and your distinctives. I'm saying they're beautiful. I'm saying they point to Jesus, right? And then what's interesting is after he discusses Jesus a bit, after he gives this, this truth, he connects their dots. He puts the pieces of the puzzle together in a different order and, and gives them this, this picture Right after that, he says, again, such a truthful um, prophecy, too. Is, Beware, therefore, in verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Who else said phrases kind of like this? Do you remember? Jesus, Jesus did, right? What did, what, how did he say it? Does anyone remember? You don't have to remember verbatim. But. Uh, there's an instance where uh, something along the lines that he said, like, you had Moses and the prophets, and you still didn't listen. Yeah. So, you know, if you sent Lazarus back from the dead to you, or the poor man at the gate, to tell you this, you still probably wouldn't listen. Because you've, you've known all along if you've had the scriptures. Right. So- yeah. He says, you've, you've stoned the prophets we sent to you. He said, you, you had Moses, you had all these people, and then you stoned them. You <laughs> had prophets come to tell you righteousness, and you, you killed them. Another time at the gate, right? It's, it's kind of that same, I think it's that same kind of story. He's at the gate of Jerusalem, and he weeps about it. He says, how long to gather you as chicks, like a mother hen gathers her chicks, and you weren't willing, right? It's this, this like, mourning of his. Another time sounds very similar to this. He's like, look, you see, and yet you don't perceive. You hear, and you can't understand. He said, I want you to do, I want you to not only see, but I want you to perceive what you're seeing. See what's really there, right? He said, you're hearing, but there's no perception. I want you to understand. You have this knowledge, that you don't understand. He tells the Pharisees another time. He says, you search the scriptures, because in them you think there is life, but they are pointing to me, and I am life to the full. He says, I am, the, the scriptures are the vehicle for, for you to understand me, right? So he tells these group of people and he's always coming up to these people and they, they want to hear, but they can't. He tells them another time, This says, John the Baptist came and you said he was a crazy person because all he did was study and pray and eat locusts and wear camels hair. He was, he was simple. He was of the monastic, right? And you said he was crazy. I come and I eat and drink and I'm joyful and I laugh, and you think I'm a drunkard and a glutton. What do you want? This is nothing, nothing will please you. Saying, look, you scoffers. Be astounded. There's a work going on right in front of you. But you're not going to believe it, even though I'm telling it to you. It's almost this, this prophecy he is giving to them in the flesh. He's saying, I'm giving you truth. And now some of you, unfortunately, will still perish because you are listening and not understanding. You're seeing me and not perceiving. The Holy Spirit is about us. The kingdom of heaven is at hand still. It is still at hand. And as they went out in verse 42, I love this. The people begged those, begged them that these things might be told to them the next day. They 're about to leave, and people plead, no, really, please come back, please do this again. Can you please come back next week right so it 's interesting that scripture does this to them, and the only and I'm, I was trying this week to like put that in my in perspective for us like when we when we desperately need more and and I have this story I think i 've told it i 'm sorry, some of you heard it, so I was in South Africa for a summer. Um, when I was like 23 or something, which is so long ago now, which is crazy. Um, but we're, we're in South Africa, and I'm, I'm working with this, this missionary who's there, and he works at this church, but we really just kind of wanted to be about town, and I worked at an AIDS hospice there for the time, and in, enjoyed it. It was terrible, but I enjoyed it. It was great. We, we had a wonderful time, but one of the things this, this guy did, once we were at this gas station, and every gas station there at the time had attendance, so you didn't pump your own gas ever. It was a job-creating thing and all this stuff. So the guy was pumping my gas, and the guy there, the missionary I'm working with, was like, hey, uh, do you want to know something? So the guy pumped his gas. He's like, sure, tell me. You know, whatever, I guess. He's like, this guy here, he, uh, he really likes reading the Bible and can kind of, he's like had to study it and stuff. He can, he can come back and teach you if he wants. And I thought he was joking, like he was just being silly, because of course the guy doesn't want me to come teach him the Bible. I'm a stranger. that's very strange. Weird to me, and the guy goes, "Are you serious?" <laughs> like right in my face, and I was like, I, "I suppose yes." He's like, "You would come and teach it to me?" I was like, "Now I am, yes." Like I, I suppose I will, and I must now. And he's like, "Can you come tomorrow?" And I was like, "Yes, I will be here tomorrow." What time? And he's like, "My break is at whatever o'clock it was." Can you come teach me for fifteen minutes? I said, "Yeah, man, that that sounds great." You know. So I come back the next day thinking he's going to forget or he's just being nice to me because I'm a visitor, obviously, and all this stuff. And sure enough, he's like ready and had two stools in the break room, ready for me. He like asked if I wanted tea. He was ready. And so we just talked about some scripture in Matthew for a bit. And it went fine. I mean, I was, I enjoyed it. You know, he was asking a bunch of questions, wide-eyed. And I, again, didn't know if he was being serious or if he's being, you know, just kind to me or whatever. So we do that, though, every week for a few weeks. And then... Usually though I would come the day before and tell him, "Hey, are we still on for tomorrow or whatever?" And he's like, course "Of course, so whatever happened, I'm sure it's my fault completely." Or I went and he wasn't there the day before, and so I was like, "Oh, well, he's not there. I'm not going to tell him. I'm just going to show up if he's on his break and can't, or something happened, or we we're out of town, or I don't remember what happened." Um, again, I look like a terrible human being and a villain because of this. But so I don't go, and so the next day though I go get gas and he's there, and I was like, "Hey, how are you?" He was just like shaking his head at me sad. Not even dramatic, like deeply grown up man sad. And he was he was just looking, he was like, oh, you didn't come. And I was like, what? Yesterday? And he's like, no, you didn't come. I was ready. Your stool was there. He said, You didn't come and I cried. And I was like, what? You didn't cry? Because again, I'm I'm myself, I'm kind of a jerk at this point to him on accident. And I'm like, you didn't cry, man. It's okay. I'm here today. We'll just do it today. He's like, no, stop. I did cry. This is important to me. I can't can't understand these things. He's like, I haven't read this Matthew. It's beautiful to me and you make me cry. You didn't come to see me. (laughs) And then, obviously, the seriousness of the situation at that point was understood to me. And I said, oh man, I am so, so sorry. Yeah, I'll I'll be here tomorrow. I'll be here tomorrow. I promise. He's like, don't forget. I, I want you to come and read this with me. And this... This like desperate, I need someone to tell me this idea, right? This very foreign to us idea of I need this. I need this. This Matthew book, I need it. It's not, it's not something I've always known. It's not a joke to me. This is not hanging out with a foreigner guy. This is not I want American time. This is I need this. I will cry again without it. I need this to be here. Please come again. It was the first time in my life I'd had someone need to hear this. Because we like it when it's nice and convenient. And if someone really charismatic is talking about it, then we really like it. You know, it's like, oh, no, we need to go to church. If the speaker's really good or if the music's amazing. Right? We have that. We have that feeling sometimes, some of us. Some of us, you know, may not need to hear it because we don't like it. The part of the life we're in, I don't want to hear it. I don't need this. I don't, I don't feel like I do. Maybe I do, but that even makes me even more angry. So no, I'm not reading this. No, I don't want to be taught it. It angers me right now with what I'm going through or anything else, right? It was this, this to them though, it was this like desperate thing to have the dots connected the way it was. For this to be reinterpreted and for the kingdom of heaven to them to be reimagined like this through Jesus was different to them. Bad life, right? You remember when Jesus would come and speak at synagogues? And he would get up to teach? What did people say afterwards? Do you remember? you remember their language they would say? Who is this person? Who is this man who speaks with authority on these matters? Who is this person reimagining these words? Who is this person speaking like heresy, to them, just straight, legitimate heresy. Yet we cannot look away. We can't get the taste of it out of our mouth. It's too good and rich and wonderful, and we need him back, right? We need to follow him around every day. I'm not going to work tomorrow. I just need to follow him around and listen to what he says. Because as is his custom, custom, he taught them, Mark says. So as he was just about in life, he was teaching everywhere. And so people just had to be near him. They begged him for more that's what's happening here in the midst of these people. They're at the synagogue. He teaches something crazy. He reinvents the way they understand all of these passages. And they plead with him to come back. All right? Just the Holy Spirit powerful here. This is after um, the meeting of the synagogue broke up. Many Jews, devout converts of Judaism, followed Paul and Barnabas. Very similar to Jesus' story here. Followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke to them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, listen to this, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, and by, by Jews here, it's talking about the leaders, so it'd be the political, spiritual, cultural leaders in this town, right? Because the Greeks would allow them to have their own leadership, remember? So he was, they would be the, the, the leaders of his day. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. But Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and says, It was necessary for the word of God to be spoken to you first. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. As many of them were appointed to eternal life and believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So we have this portion of the story. Toward the next week, they do go back. They say, okay, you're pleading for us to return. This is an open door. This is exciting. We'll go teach again. But when they go, there's such a crowd there. The whole city, as it happens, is there. So the who's who of the city, and there's such a crowd that they would have looked at that and said, Man, it's everyone in the whole city here. The whole city is there in attendance. And what happens? The leaders feel this like, jealousy, this contempt. Right? And I have to be honest with you. Overly honest with you. I think a lot of us are similar to me in this. We, we hear this, and we're like, Are you kidding me? Are you, are you kidding me? You, you were just jealous of these two people from out of town being looked at with brighter eyes than you were looked at by your community, and so you run them out of town? Are you kidding me? You saw the people rejoicing. You saw this turn in people. You saw, like, righteous. You saw the kingdom of heaven at hand. You saw it. And then you you turned it away because you had some sort of jealousy in that and honestly used to make me crazy like how that how childish is that but now i am 35 years old and a pastor and to be really honest if there's a church down the street that pastor's a great guy He's real cool. I, I, you know, I may know them or not or whatever. And who knows? Maybe in 2014, 2013, some to us. They, they just like, you know what? Let's do this on the east side. And they have three services and there's 400 people and it's going crazy and it's rad and all these things. You know what? Some of us, us, me, what sometimes the, the easy thing to do is is to say, well... Good for them, I'm glad, but you know what? I'm glad I'm our people aren't like that in this way. Or really, yeah, good for them, but you know, they do this thing and we don't do that, we purposefully don't do that. And so, you know, really I don't know. Good for that church. Right? I may not fully discredit it openly, publicly. But in my head, I know the differences. Or I've drawn lines that probably aren't even there of the differences between me and someone else. Or, or maybe I think in my head, oh well, but you know this has happened and this has happened. And it is so easy in our minds to discredit something as good. We hear our coworker talk about how wonderful their marriage is and ours isn't going so well. It's easy to discredit someone else. We've been looking for a job or we hate our job or it's sucks the life out of us, and then someone we know has this wonderful opportunity for the new job that they didn't even really ask for, even they just get this random promotion, and we just feel it. You know, it's just deep in us. We just want to discredit it so badly. Because for whatever reason, deep down, and it goes back to what we've been talking about in Acts this whole time, when, when we have to live this life of like, Success over someone else's like winning. Like a win, someone has to lose. And, and when we feel that way, when, when these leaders felt that way, it caused something evil to come up, right? It caused wickedness to be shown. It was always there. Yeah, they welcomed them the week before. They said, oh, friends, if you want to teach, go ahead. We would love for you to come up. Encourage us. Please, right? So they seem great. They seem ready for someone else to get some credit that week. Then when they speak, the whole town arrives. Wait a second. Actually, we didn't really like what you said all that much. We're going to discredit you. We remember you killing the people that you're acting like you believe with now. We remember that. Weren't you there when Stephen was killed? And oh, now, now, you're the guy that's going around and you're going to teach. Right? This is, this is natural for us. So we can look at that. I can look at that and say, oh, how dare they? But I can also look at me. And understands, how dare I, you know, we, we can we can be these people very, very easily. And with anything. It doesn't have to be spiritual, it doesn't have to be public. You know, our private lives, it can be in our marriages, it can be with our kids, right? Oh, I'm so glad your kid got accepted to that school. Oh my gosh, that's great. My kid's still taller than your kid, right? <laughs> that's strange. Strangeness about us that we laugh about because it you know, whatever. Okay. But as that happens, okay, so we have that, I didn't even spend so much time on that, It's probably for my own self, I guess. But we, we have this this time, and then Paul says, Paul and I say, fine, fine. We won't come back. We'll take this to the Gentiles. And what do the Gentiles do? Like they rejoice. Which in my head is a really funny scene. It's like there's two groups at the place. This is not how it happened. I'm almost positive. But in my head, there's like two groups in the courtyard of this synagogue. And I was like, fine, we won't teach. We'll just go teach them. And they're like, whoa, yeah, we'll take them. That's great, you know. And I'm, again, sure, that cannot be the way because my head is a crazy brain. And so it most certainly did not happen that way. But it's fun in my head for me to think of it that way. So he goes, though, to the Gentiles. And it goes well, right? The Gentiles heard this. They began rejoicing, glorifying the Lord. And many... As many as they were appointed to eternal life, they believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But again, the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district. But they shook the dust off their feet. Why, why did they do that? We have another story where people had to do that. Do you remember? Jesus sends his people out, his disciples, right? He says, go in twos, go to a town. If you're welcome, stay. Teach there. Perform miracles. Feed them. Do the whole deal, right? Experience the kingdom of heaven at hand. But if they begin to persecute you, if it gets hard, go ahead. Leave the city. Wipe the dust off your feet and continue on your way, right? So this is what had to happen. They shook the dust from their feet against them. They went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So they go to this new region and their work with the Jews, their work with the Gentiles, many are believing It's this movement in this area. And the leaders, are they can't handle it, they don't like the beauty of it, they don't like that, that it's no longer, the system is no longer working, right? Where they're the wisdom, they are in charge, they are the professionals, they are the leaders. Something that gets broken down and it, and it gets awry, and so the system starts to collapse and they hate it, so they send them out word of God flourishes, right? What then, and here's something I really want us to ask, and we're going to figure it out as we go. They leave this time, right? They experience persecution, and they go. They say, fine, we'll take this elsewhere. Sometimes, though, when they experience persecution, they stay, right? We're about to have a story in a few chapters we're staying, gets, Paul beats death, basically. He is like dead. They drag him out of the city, throw him out of the gate, and they pray for him. He gets up, he limps himself back into the city, tells them goodbye on his own strength, which this story is really fun, and I'm telling it all now, but it's really exciting. He gets up, goes and tells them he loves them and goodbye, and then leaves again, and then like has to be treated for whatever his beating was for a very, very long. So sometimes they leave and dust their feet and sometimes they stay. What? How do they know when to go and when to stay? Really. Why do they leave on this one? Why don't they just stay? Fight it out. There was success here. Why did they leave? Real answers. What, What do you all think? Because there was such great success. Okay. Because well, it was success, okay. Like, so they felt like, we can leave, it's, under, it's in good hands or something. Okay. Why else? I think that's reasonable as well. What else? They still felt like there was lots of work to be done in other places. <laughs> because there was, for sure, right? It's like, well, we need, to, we need to be elsewhere. Good. But other times, okay, and I agree with you. Other times, though, there's still work to do, and they stay. So what's this, what's this driving factor of, of, okay, now it's okay to leave, now it's okay to stay? What do we think? Do like the type of persecution that they're experiencing. Maybe. Perhaps, maybe if they can see that their persecution is going to lead towards more people coming to faith, going if they see it's just going to be a awesome, cool they'll bail. Okay, maybe. Yeah, i go with that. What else maybe? Maybe just how they feel the Spirit leading. Yeah. Because the next verse after they leave says that they were filled with the Holy full Spirit. Of it. Yep. And here's kind of what, here, here's what I want to get at. I think all those things are probably taken into account. I really do. Um, but I do think this driving factor and disclaimer, and I shouldn't even disclaimer. it's like, very foolish and like unfaithful to disclaimer I don't mean this being simple and I don't mean it being a, a just words kind of thing but it was this leading of the Holy Spirit I believe and it's this idea of yes there's no formula of when they go and stay because y'all are all correct sometimes they go and it seems like well yeah it just would have been quarrelsome it's reasonable to go there would have been discord if you stay so just go other times, it's like, well, it's successful here. It's all in good hands. Let's just go. And other times, they stay for years at a place where there's success. They stay for years and teach Timothy, right? Or they make up with John Mark. Or they do all these other things later. So it just, it's just, there doesn't seem to be a good formula. And here's, here's why I even bring that up. For us as a people, we are all trying to sort out our lives right now. A lot of us. I mean, there have been like six people in our small body get new jobs in the last two months. Right? Half of you've told me about them today, which is exciting. <laughs> I know it's awesome. Right? A lot of other of you are trying to figure out when do we try to have kids? Can we do that? Are we wanting to do that? What do we do about that? Do we buy a house here or there or you sound like Dr. Jusquell, do we buy a house here or there or everywhere? <laughs> What a bad day dad had. Anyway, that's hop on pop. And I laugh about the dad being sad in that book. But anyway, so you have, you have all these things that we're deciding. As a church, there are huge questions coming up for us that we're discussing. And we're going to need your help on them. We, we've started opening, again, this discussion of, are we going to be a part of a, another denomination, like a, a body of leadership over our leadership? And are we okay with that? Do we want that? What does that look like? Right? Do we rent here forever? Right now, we need to. So yes is the answer sort of right now, right? What do we do? Do we, do we say that our outreach to our community is like, do we call it marketing? That makes me just be like this, obviously. And other people don't feel that way, which is great. That's why we work together on this. What does, what does even the word evangelism look like to us? That word feels dirty to a lot of us when you heard it, and so it feels awesome, Right? How do we? How do we learn to pray together? How do we do these things? What are we doing? We are all going through these things as a body, and then as your own individual families. And we can you can pro and con this to death. You can, you can, we can pros and cons if we're going to have a third kid till forever. And there's a lot of reasons on both of them. A lot of reasons on the non right now. But there's a lot of reasons, right? Just joking i was just joking. <laughs> but there's a lot of things like that. We could do that forever. We could. But, but, in 2018, with our attempt at, some of us, at our attempt at unlearning what we've known and relearning this, reinterpreting this, really. We've got to say, Holy Spirit, where are you leading us? Whether it is smart or not. Whether it makes sense financially or not. Whether it's the right move to be big or the right move to be small or the right move to blah, 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 blah. We can do all that to death. We have to be people who listen in our prayers to the Holy Spirit. We have to We have to be people that, yes, sometimes just leave the situation when it gets cantankerous, when when conflict arises. We need to be people who stay. Take what comes with that. We need to be people who say, yes, this family, we will help them. It may not seem smart. It may seem like a money pit. It may seem whatever. Damn, we're doing it. We're doing it. So... And swear right now about this. Like, but just, well, I don't care, we're doing it. Right? Holy Spirit's leading it, we're doing it. I don't care. And there's times we need to say, okay, what is the smartest way to do this? What is the most the way that makes the most financial sense to help that family or this family or us or whatever? There's there's all those things. There's all these, these things we are dealing with. But if you must be people who are led by the Spirit, when we go here and there, when we purchase, when we leverage our resources, when we leverage our community we love each other, as we talk about our children, all these things, that is what they are trying to learn to do. They're they're with us on that. That's not their norm either. They've been doing this how long? (laughs) 19 chapters, or 13 chapters, right? Not long. They're also trying to figure it out, just like we are. So, what I want us to do is we pray, as we lead into our time of communion. I want us to, to understand all this in the lens of actually attempting to listen to the Holy Spirit. Actually saying, okay, is this, am I really directed by that? Is that really, the Holy Spirit really is going to direct me, direct us? And we'll go from there. Okay, so let's stand together.